up, nerds? It's Drew Dixon, back with you for another Bible Thump. I'm the chief content nerd at Love My Nerd, which is a fancy title that I'm not going to explain to you right now because we don't have time. We're going to get in the Bible, and the Bible's exciting. The Bible's really cool. has a lot of encouragement. You maybe think it's a weird book, and it is. And this story we're going to look at today is super weird, but it's actually beautiful and empowering and tells a really good story. Um, not just a really good story in the sense that it's compelling. It is super compelling. Jesus is going to do something incredibly controversial, and it's like a bold political statement. This is Jesus's version of like, um, like profound social protest in a way, uh, and it's cool. So uh, I hope you're intrigued. But um, in this story, we get a lot of encouragement. Even though this is like a bold political statement, it's actually not in a way. It's more about the value of people and what Jesus values and what he cares about and what his kingdom is really about. And so if we understand this controversial story, um, if we'll dig into it a little bit, what we'll really find is some insight into the kind of people God wants us to be in his world for his good and for the good of our neighbors. So that's what Love Thy Nerd really is all about, and so I hope this this encourages you. All right, let's read this weird story. It's from Mark chapter 11. Remember, we just read about the triumphal entry, Jesus entering into the center of Jewish religion and, and, and politics and, and religious life, the center of, of, of Jewish life, Jerusalem, the capital, right? The, the place to be where the temple was, all that, and he rides in on a donkey. <laughs> and he gets to the temple and is like, oh, this is cool, and then leaves. Um is not impressed by the temple in a way. And so then now we're going to pick up on the rest of that. And you remember uh, in verse 12 of, of Mark 11, we read this, the next day when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. He said to it, may no one ever fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. It's like, wait, what's up? Jesus, like, do you have an issue with figs? Um, fig trees were actually a, a symbol uh, for the nation of Israel. And so um, a lot of people think this is tied to what he thinks about the temple. Um, and we, there's a really good reason to think about this, uh, that this is what's going on just in the context of Mark, because the next story Mark tells us is the cleansing of the temple. All right, so Mark 11 verse 15. They came to Jerusalem and he went out into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. The chief priests and the scribes heard this and started looking for a way to kill Jesus, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. Early in the morning, as they were passing by, they saw the fig tree, that same fig tree from before, right? And now it's withered from the roots up. Then Peter remembered it and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. And Jesus replied to them, Have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. All right. 
So let me try to paint a picture for you about what's going on here. Um, imagine if you went to the most important the most important building in your city, or maybe in your state, or hey, maybe even the country. Like you go to the White House, you go to the Capitol building, and you just start unplugging servers, turning off people's computers, spilling coffee on their keyboards, uh, like just wrecking havoc and shutting things down. If you unplug the servers in any major political building, what's going to happen? It's like chaos is going to ensue, right? People can't do their jobs anymore. And that's kind of the picture that we see here. Um, so what did Jesus communicate by cleansing the temple, by turning over tables and keeping people from exchanging money and keeping sacrifices from happening? In this moment, Je that's what he's doing. He's stopping the temple from doing its job. He's keeping sacrifices from happening. And this was not the first time, by the way, that Jesus upstaged the temple. What did people do in the temple? What was its ultimate design and purpose? It was a place for people to provide sacrifices. They would go and have priests offer sacrifices on their behalf as a sign that their sins were forgiven, Right? And Jesus, if you remember earlier in Mark's gospel, one of the first big miracles he does is he um, heals this paralyzed man. And instead of saying, get up, take up your mat and walk, he says to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and walk. And he did it purposely to declare that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He was making a statement that I have the power to do what you've been going to the temple for. Do you see? What was the temple supposed to be? It was supposed to be a place where people met with God. What had it become? Jesus said it had become a den of thieves. It had become a place where instead of the nations coming to meet with God, um, and this is from Isaiah, like, and this is all over the Old Testament, right? That God's vision for his people is that they would be lights unto the nations. Um, Isaiah 9, um, this is also in Deuteronomy uh, this is this is all over the Old Testament. Is that God's design for His people is not that they would be this super um, exclusive club that has all of God's truth and keeps it for themselves, but they would be this people that influences salt of the earth, light of the world, right? That influences everyone. That um, and not just influences everyone, but like shines the light of of God's love on absolutely every nation and people group. And instead they become this exclusive this exclusive group that was exploiting the poor. That was using this place that was meant to be a place to meet with God and experience his forgiveness and love and were using it to get ahead themselves, to establish their own righteousness. It's also important to note that the temple was supposed to be a place where the poor and the oppressed found acceptance. This is all over the Old Testament as well. I mean, read Jeremiah 7, oh, 1 through 11, and you see this clearly, that the poor and the, and the oppressed found acceptance with God within the walls of Jerusalem, within the walls of, of the key city in the nation of Israel, and more importantly, within the campus of the temple where people would go to meet with God. Um, that's a unique aspect about Jewish religion is that you could find acceptance with God no matter who you were, right? Um, and so uh, that was supposed to happen in this place, but instead it had turned into this place to exploit the poor and um, where people were essentially robbed. People should be meeting with God and instead um, they're being used.
So Jeremiah warns in Jeremiah 7 against using the temple as an outward show of righteousness. Like, to be, to be like, look at this great place. This shows how much God is behind us and God loves us and God's with us and he's in our corner. Um, he says, be really careful about doing that. Um, and encourages people to go out in the world instead and show mercy and promote justice. So again, God's intention for the people of Israel is that they would be his representatives to the nations. Exodus 19, 33, 34. This is all over the Old Testament, like I said. Israel um, had instead, though, separated themselves from the world and were trying to... to um, that was the Pharisees' vision, right? We've talked about this in the Bible Thump before, if you've been following along, is that the Pharisees' vision for getting Israel back on track with God was to purify the nation in every way possible and to separate them from the nations. Um, now, there's ways in which we as followers of Jesus should stick out from the world, like our attitudes, our actions, our love, um, the things we do and don't do in, uh, to some extent, right? Those are things that, that make us set apart from the rest of the world. And that's, that can be a good thing. Um, but we do that to influence. We do that to shine the light of Christ. We do that because we want to point people to Jesus, not to ourselves. And that's a danger we all face, is this temptation to take the things of God and use them to get ourselves ahead, to make ourselves look good, to, point the, to, to shed the spotlight on how great we are, um, to the exclusion of everyone else forgetting the other people around us who need, who need love, who need, uh, uh, who need help, who need our um, friendship, support, and service. So what was Jesus saying about the temple? Jesus is the reality. He is the reality to which the temple pointed. He's not saying that the temple is worthless or bad. Don't hear that. He was saying that it has served its function. It, it did what it needed to do, and now we're in a new era of fulfillment. Yes, people had corrupted it and misused it, but it doesn't mean the temple was bad. Jesus is saying the temple is being replaced. There is a new temple. There is a new way to fellowship with God, and it's so beautiful and so good. It's Jesus himself. And there's a new motivation. He's your Jesus himself is, is the way to God, and there's a new motivation for loving the poor and seeking justice for the oppressed. And it's Jesus himself who gave his life to do those very things, who's constantly doing those things up to this point in Mark's gospel. Jesus himself was embodying a radical alternative to the temple. Him. Jesus. You want to be a part of the kingdom of God? Look at him. You want to be a part of what God is doing in the world? Look at Jesus. You want to participate in his kingdom? Look at him and follow his teaching. Listen to what he says about justice, listen to what he says about mercy, listen to what he says about love, and strive to embody his example. So, three really quick things we can put into practice from this passage. First, trust Jesus. He's the way to God. Not any institution or system or seven-step step plan. There's no seven-step plan you have to follow. Just Jesus. Only Jesus. Um, why do we need this reminder? Because we so often want to go back to those old wineskins. Uh, that's a metaphor Jesus used. Um, we want to go back to the old way where we could brag about our effort, where we could brag about our um, special place in his kingdom, where we could you know, put ourselves forward in some way. Um, secondly, I think this passage reminds us to embrace the outsider, right? Those we would feel uncomfortable around, 
Uh, those who would feel most uncomfortable around are the very people Jesus sought out. Like he was accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So again, back to what Jeremiah tells us to do, do mercy, seek justice. That's what Jesus is exposing about the temple, that those things have fallen off the radar of God's people. And listen, they fall off the radar of us all the time. We can think of the gospel in such narrow ways that are so exclusive that we miss the opportunities God has given us all the time to live out his kingdom values and to point people to Jesus by by just showing mercy to the people around us who need our help or attention by just doing justice, by lifting up the cause of people who are exploited or, or overlooked. Um, is that an active part of your, of your thinking, of the way you think about what it means to follow Jesus? Um, and thirdly, I think this passage reminds us to worship from the heart. Jesus is alluding to Jeremiah 7, as I said before, and if we were to go back and read Jeremiah 7, uh, 5 through 11, we'd see Jeremiah asking us to consider whether we have become hypocrites. That's essentially what Jesus was saying about the current practice of Judaism. It was a show. That's what he's mad about with the temple. That's, um, it was a show to prove our own righteousness and to exclude others. Um, and people were saying, were saying, we are rescued, when in reality they were excluding the Gentiles, excluding the nations, exploiting the poor, the poor trusting in themselves. Um, so, so Jeremiah says, correct your ways, act justly no longer oppress. Um, Instead, what should we do? Instead, we should believe. Like he says, the whole thing about believing this mountain could be thrown into the sea. And then he also says to forgive. Um, Right? That's, That's what immediately follows this passage, is Jesus teaching his disciples to trust him more deeply and to, um, and to, to forgive each other, to forgive one another. Uh, that's what he says at the end here. He says, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in Heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Um, so, um, yeah. Following Jesus isn't nearly as complicated as we often think. Um, don't get caught up in all of the periphery um, signposts and, and illustrate, you know, signposts and things that, that that dictate what it means to follow Jesus. Focus on Jesus himself. Let's keep that central. Um, think about it this way, like getting overly, you know, getting overly focused on the temple and what it's supposed to be and protecting it and keeping it pure and all these things that were actually causing harm to people when they should have been, when the temple should have been this place of welcome and support and pointing people to the forgiveness and love of God. Um, it's kind of like, imagine this, imagine if you were going to Disney World. Um, I'm a big, like, amusement park, theme park fan, um, I get super excited when I get to go to like Disney World or something. It doesn't happen often, but when I get to go, I'm like pumped up. So imagine that's where you're headed. And like, let's say you're like me, you're super excited to go. Um, imagine if, you know what you see on the way to Disney, right? You know what you see. You see all these signs that are like Disney, five miles. And then Disney, turn here. And there's all these signs, turn, turn, turn. And then there's, you get to the sign that's like, the entrance, right? The big sign for Disney World. It's like, you're here. What if you get out and you stop at that sign and you just, you know, take pictures, throw a party, and then you just head home? How disappointing would that be, right? To get there and to see all the signs um, and then not experience the real deal, like not go on um, 
edge of the galaxy, you know, not visit um, all the cool attractions, Space Mountain, uh, you know, the Avatar world, all those things at Disney World that are so amazing and innovative and cool. Um, that would be a huge bummer, right? And that's what we, we do when we focus on all these rules and regulations that we think are supposed to be what shapes our faith. It's like, it's like going to Disney World and stopping at the sign and not experiencing the real deal. Um, go to Jesus himself. Keep him your focus. When our eyes are focused unflinchingly on him, we are far more likely to live out and embody our faith in a way that impacts our neighbors and makes uh, the world around us a better place and actually points people to love and forgiveness that are found in King Jesus. Thanks for your time. We'll see you again next week.